This is episode 96 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled, Brand Messaging During a Pandemic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show. And thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. I'm so pleased to welcome a new guest on the show today. I have Ted Bauer on the line, and I know him through social media, where he has a big following on LinkedIn and Twitter, and he posts a lot about work and HR and life and growing up and philosophy. Uh, He told me that I could use as his bio that he's a freelance writer slash editor based in Texas, just trying to figure out where work is headed, how and why. But his real expertise is in content creation for companies, uh, social media, communication, uh, brand management. And he's kind of a special guy because he has an eye for BS in a world where uh, there's a lot of BS that's, that's, <laughs> that's tolerated. So I wanted him to talk to us about good communication during the pandemic and maybe not so good. So welcome to the show, Ted. Thank you so much for having me. I I really appreciate it. I've like similarly I've uh, I've observed or seen some of your stuff through social media um whereby you know I think social media has a lot of negatives in how people use it but one of the cool positives is that you get to connect with people with like um uh, cool worldviews or approaches to some of the problems that we face like, in work and personhood as well. So, uh, again, long way of saying thanks for having me come on here. It's always good to find our soulmates. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but I'm seeing a lot of communication from companies these days via email. And one guy on Twitter said, you know, it seems like every company who has somehow gotten hold of my email address um, is sending me an email telling me how they are managing the coronavirus. Leave me alone. <laughs> and, uh, so, so tell me what you're seeing on your side. Um, yeah, same situation. I mean, I actually saw somebody that works for the federal government that I interact with on Twitter. Um, sometimes he tweeted something a couple of days ago, like every airline that I've ever been on, even the ones that seem to be out of business, have <laughs> sent me an email in the past couple of weeks. Um, I do. I feel like a hundred percent accurate, and I've gotten, I've gotten stuff from companies where you wouldn't. I know the COVID nineteen coronavirus stuff tech touches like every aspect of business no question but you would think it would be logical for travel providers or hotel industry or if you belong to like a co-working or if you have like a 
supermarket uh like preferred membership like a kroger or costco those brands seem logical because it's like a lot of people in a space or you need to get from a to b safely or you're wondering what they're doing about cleanliness etc but then you get them from these brands that you know they're impacted by covid19 but it's not an immediate jump in your brain like some jewel like DIY jewelry company on Instagram will send you a, a email blast like uh, here's our response to COVID nineteen and you're thinking like okay that wasn't like an immediate concern of mine but it does feel like every company regardless of the population they serve feels like they have to put something out there about what's going on and how they're responding to it so. I would guess I've probably gotten north of like 120, probably. That's crazy. I had to do an experiment for some guy in late 2019 where he asked me to subscribe to all these like HR technology recruiting platform newsletters just to see kind of the value inherent in some of them. And the short answer is there's not a lot of value inherent in a, <laughs> in a lot of those newsletters, but I've probably only unsubscribed from like 50%. So let's say I'm still on 50 to 60 of those. Every single one of those companies um, set a thing in the last week, you know, like almost guaranteed. And the we can get into this more in a second, but the messaging on them is almost entirely the same down to the subject line. Right. So you're kind of like, I don't if if you think it's a brand building, brand differentiating opportunity, I don't think a lot of people are taking advantage of that truly, you know. I guess that's my frustration is if you're gonna send an email, let's make it count. And so I want to tell a story here about FedEx. Actually, mm-hmm. sorry, I think it was UPS. We just had um, a case in San Diego. I'm located in San Diego where a UPS driver has tested positive for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And that came out on the news. I, you know, somehow I flashed up in my uh, information stream. And I swear, Ted, it was within like, I don't know, it seemed like it was almost instantaneous. I got an email from UPS mm-hmm. and I thought, wow, that's, that's timely. And so I actually went and tried to find the email in preparing for this podcast, but I can't find it. But my recollection as I scanned through it is that, well, it definitely didn't say anything about the driver, but also it didn't seem to say anything about anything. Right. It didn't even say like, we're wiping down your packages, or we now know that the virus only lives 24 hours on your package. Just let it sit around for 24 hours. Anything like that, which could since they are kind of a front line, right? They're encountering all kinds of people and delivering things and stuff going back and forth. Any information that they provided would be really helpful. But instead, they just, I mean, like I say, I didn't find it, but it seemed like it just said nothing, just blah, blah. Right, right. It's almost completely generic, right? And I would say um, I do one thing for like an apartment, kind of like a relocation service, right? So if I don't think there's going to be a ton of 
corporate relocations in the near term, but in the last, like, I don't know, year to year and a half, there were a decent amount. So this company kind of helps companies move like 200 plus employees at a time or whatever and helps the employees find apartments or houses in the new place, right? Uh Uh-huh. That guy, one of their founders or whatever, asked me to send an email and I put like a ton of um, COVID stats in it and like where we stand and how long it could last. And again, I don't think a lot of people are going to be relocated in the next like four to five months. But I still think if you're going to get an email from a company who's not a, a, a quote unquote individual that you know, it should be like research heavy, factual. It should provide some form of value, right? So you know, tips on like um, how to quote unquote socially distance during a moving process, Um, but also just like give a landscape on what's happening, right? The generic stuff about, hey, we're on top of it. We're taking care of it. We value you as a customer. That's all cool. And I'm glad that people say that, but I think we've all gotten enough of that messaging where it doesn't have as much meaning to us anymore. And especially in this moment i think a lot of people are seeking information above just like platitudes right sure that's part of it as well i think it seems as though common sense would prevail in situations like this but it doesn't seem to do you have a theory as to why well broadly speaking i think email marketing like i have a friend that works at an agency in San Antonio and it's like a mid-sized agency, but they have some like fortune 500 S and P 1500 type clients. Right. And you see a lot of times like marketing moves in waves in terms of quote unquote, what's hot. Right. And email marketing was maybe hotter like five to seven years ago. And there are still brands that use it very well. But I think a lot of people, it's like a, it's like a box you have to check and not necessarily a strategy. I think people have moved on to like Instagram or like targeting or whatever. Mm. Um, So I think like I made a joke about this on Twitter when COVID stuff was first happening. It's like, I think there's probably a bunch of brands that were like, damn, we need to send something out. But then it took them like two full business days to like remember the password to their email. (laughs) Right. So I think the the common sense thing is more like, okay, it's not the preferred platform or the platform you're doing most of your uh, customer and prospect communication on right now. So it's kind of like, okay, it's a box to check, something to push out to say we did it. Um, that's one part of it. The second part of it is I think people just get uh, whether like people buy into the like entrepreneurial temple sometimes where like everything could be an opportunity and definitely like there will be businesses and people that come out of COVID where it's, they're going to set themselves up really well, um, for the future. No question. That's like what happens with any major event. But I think some people, like, they jump so far ahead to, like, what can we get out of this that the communication almost comes off as, like, selling or profiteering or whatever, where 
again, in the moment, I think people want like a combination of like facts, information and assurance, as opposed to like, hey, here's a like, okay, it even feels slimy to me when I would get emails like here's a webinar about working from home more effectively. And like that is it's it's like within the the lines, like the acceptable lines of the moment. But it's like, you know, they're going to try to sell you on something at the end of the webinar, right? So it's almost like you're being, you're almost being like sold to immediately when the first moment should be like, hey, we value as a customer, here's some facts about our supply chain or our process or what we're doing with our employees, what we're doing with our production methods. Oh, and P.S., we're like contemplating doing this webinar to help some people out. Um, so consider it like, just make it a softer touch. than like you were just, I was just getting stuff where it's like this stuff just happened. People in the U S are just starting to realize that it could be a significant problem. And people are like, click here to join my webinar, you know? And I'm like, ah, oh, that just feels like you're jumping over two to three steps that need to happen first, where you try to, reassure people and give them info about how you work, you know? That's really interesting. It's an, it's an, it really is the difference between brand management, I would call it, and selling. Yep. You know, you use the word slimy and I think that's often, or even just uncertainty. Like you get some of these offers and it's like, well, I don't feel as though you're being transparent about what this offer really is. Right. And and if I'm signing up for a sales pitch, that you know, come on. <laughs> Nobody's going to do that, right? So right. I guess that that's kind of my question, you know, they say that a message always lands differently depending on the receiver. But sometimes right. I get these emails and I think, I can't imagine who you thought the target receiver was right. going to be. Right. And one of the things, too, is that I just feel like what's weird is super weird to me is every place I worked ever um, is like sales and marketing typically sit, sometimes they sit within 200 feet of each other. And it feels like they almost never talk. Oh, wow. They don't have discussions about, okay, what, like, what would even, like, what are we trying to convey? And are we trying to convey stuff to different audiences? Or, you know, like, how are we targeting? How are we messaging? It just feels like sales has a more quote unquote brute force, uh, like bang on the door loudly type approach. And that's what they want to see reflected in emails and marketing sometimes goes along with that because sales, uh, I don't like sales has kind of more leverage in a company typically because they're, they're closer to revenue. So yeah. marketing has to kind of like, like go along with what they say. So I don't know. I mean, I, I've never um, understood kind of like why the situation is so poor. I have some of those theories like I just outlined. I think it's like people use it as a checkbox or they think it's an opportunity that they need to exploit, you know? 
if sales and marketing got more aligned, quote unquote, sales enablement or whatever we were calling it, then I think you would potentially maybe do this a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not, I'm also not entirely sure if that's true. <laughs> the other thing that crosses my mind as we're talking, putting myself back in my old shoes, uh, working as a CFO, I can imagine that if we did try and put out a message that was more meaningful and wasn't just marketing, blah, blah, that we would have had to get more people involved. Like people would have had to weigh in from legal or fact checking or, so it's just easier to put out a quick blah, blah email right. that has no content because then right. you can't be, you can't be held responsible for saying a bunch of nothing. Right. <laughs> That's also accurate. Yeah. And I also think it's like to go back to this, re- this revenue point, right? Because email marketing for a lot of industries and brands is not a direct sales channel, right? For some it is, but um, for a lot of them, it isn't. Mm-hmm. It feels like something you can kind of dismiss as like, okay, this is something that we have to do. But if we kind of do it stupidly or generically, it doesn't really matter that much because it's not a direct revenue channel. And in this whole discussion, we can't ignore the whole thing about probably like 60 to 70% of companies right now are like super worried about revenue and like quote unquote keeping the lights on and all that right because a lot of companies sure they don't have like i know an accounting standard for a bigger company is like 300 days of cash on hand or something but a lot of companies honestly don't have that right of course not i think that's part of it too where you're just kind of like you know they think that okay cool we did our service to the house list that we have but all we're doing is, uh, you know, we're just like checking a box, basically. And then the flip side of it being like, okay, they think, well, maybe there's some opportunity here for revenue, so we might as well grasp at that straw. I was talking to somebody yesterday who's a coach about mm-hmm. kind of taking care of your network. So I'm, I'm somewhat worried about what I'm seeing people getting, not just um, – you know, social distancing in the real world, but also getting kind of isolated and frightened. Right. So, And so I was thinking about, you know, how do we reach out to people, put our arms around people and, and kind of share and point out that we're all in this together and kind of draw on each other's expertise and, and good health, you know, good mental health to keep ourselves strong. And I was thinking... Well, I'm sure if you were to do that, a marketing person would say, and be sure and remind them while you do that of the services that you provide, right? right. Don't right. miss that opportunity. Right. But to go, to go back to what you were saying, I, I don't know. I guess I feel as though there might be an opportunity just to do the first and not do the second. I don't know. What do you think? Well, okay, I'll give you an example of that. I think is like maybe a little bit off task, but it's kind of aligned with um, what we're talking about. Last Friday, I was taping this podcast with some guy who's in the financial services industry and has like a span of control of 30 people or whatever. 
So I was just talking to him about management stuff. And like somehow we got into like relationship stuff. Like he's married with like a three-year-old or whatever. So we got into relationship stuff and he went to Duke um, and he has this like group text Slack thread with like a bunch of guys he went to Duke with. Right. Okay. And so somehow we go down this rabbit hole while I'm taping this thing with him. And he says that on his like all male group thread, people are starting to talk about their relationship with their spouse as like both parties are like uh, working from home or like what, you know, whatever, because that wasn't the norm for them as a couple. Like they would not necessarily be together during the day. Right. Of course. There's any number of comedians that have like routines about how like marriages and relationships only work because of that separation time or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So these Duke kids are discussing it. Anyway, me and this guy get into like a semi-nuanced discussion about that, right? I control this newsletter for one uh, random kind of like coaching leadership development brand. And I guess it was Friday, like Friday over the weekend, I told the guy that runs that like, hey, I think we should send a newsletter and just put together a bunch of research on like working in the same physical space with your spouse, partner, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not like you're not trying to sell a coaching service. You're not trying to sell like a leadership seminar. You're just saying like, hey, in this moment, this might be um, something that you're concerned about or worried about. And like, honestly, There are articles uh, in like reputable publications. Like when I was researching this newsletter, I saw one in Popular Science and one in like Washington Post that take the whole like co-working with a significant other thing. They take it from like the morning all the way through like avenues for intimacy or whatever. And it's like they're reputable and they quote like, PhDs and like, you know, relationship experts. And it's like that type of stuff is like, people do wonder about it. Anyway, like, I think they sent that email this morning. So I don't have like full stats on it. But I can tell you that I know within the first seven hours of receipt, they got a bunch of replies to it. Like, man, this is actually very useful information that I need, right? As opposed to like, Yeah, that dude has like seminars and Zooms and stuff coming up. And like he has a team of probably like five or six people he wants to keep paying. And like it's easy to send an email being like, hey, register for this, register for this course, sign up for this one-on-one slot, whatever. And like you need to do that because eventually you need to make money. There's no question. But I think that doing stuff around – issues or questions that people on your list may have at that moment it also has value and it's better uh it's almost more nuanced than like what most people are doing right because most people are just sending like generic like we've been talking about or they're it's like generic plus hey buy this service that i provide in the moment (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. yeah Are there any other topics that come to mind for you that you think would resonate with clients right now? 
Um, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch. Like, honestly, uh, one thing I think is important right now that is being overlooked, and this probably touches most industries or business models, is like, I think this is kind of like a watershed moment for us on data and how people use data. And mm. now, if you bring this stuff up online, the like the very capitalist, like, ROI-driven people are always going to tell you, like, okay, China's data that started this whole wave is probably fake or inaccurate, which is probably true. But I think, like, all this data is coming in right now, and people are like, I can only really speak for the U.S. because that's where we're based, but it's like, obviously, there's a partisan divide right now that's probably stronger than it's been in a while. But it feels like people are like picking and choosing data based on their like preferred news source or trusted uh, guide and like their way of thinking, right? And like the whole promise of data is supposed to be that it cuts through like assumption, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously that's very hard because people have beliefs and the beliefs get set for a person. And I don't argue that at all. But I think like, Stuff about teaching people how to analyze data, even at a low level, like what sources to look at, what to consider about whether the information is clean or like comes from a reputable source. Like just like early stage data lessons, I think is super important um, Mm. right now. And a lot of people aren't doing that. And if you serve any type of business, I feel like you can have a newsletter about that. Um, The other thing that jumps out is like, I think there's a class of people that are like a group of people that they don't fully understand like the different psychological makeups of work and they're starting to see it now more than ever. It's like, I have a, like a, a female I'm friends with in St. Louis. She texted me last night and said that her boss scheduled an eight-hour WebEx for the team just so that she could physically see them working, right? Oh, wow. So you got to stay on a WebEx for eight hours. Oh, my God. You got to say like, okay, I'm going to go eat lunch now. I'm going to the bathroom now, right? And it's like, that's like literally I'm, I hope that that's a very small percentage of the population right now, but I'm sure there are other managers besides this woman's manager doing stuff like that. Right. And I think a lot of people are maybe getting a clearer sense that work has a lot to do with control um, and relevance, even though we claim it's all about like productivity and innovation So I feel like there are topics there just even about like effective management and like all we talk about right now is like social distancing, but actually if you're a manager and now your team is all dispersed or whatever, you actually need to like learn how to embrace like, I don't know what the first word would be, but like it's another form of distancing where, okay, I can't see these people. They're not within earshot of my office assuming the team wasn't already remote or dispersed but like I still trust them to get stuff done um, and to like be on top of stuff 
So it's like you need to be socially distant, but you also need to be distant from like um, ideas of control or like power over others, right? So like stuff like that, I feel like those are topics that are coming to the forefront for people. Like what do we do with data? What do we do with like crappy management, right? And I think those could make cool newsletter topics too, you know? I also think if you do anything that touches like perception or attitudes or, I mean, there's like a ton of stuff going on right now with perception and like how we see things um, and have like who we choose to believe. Right. Um, I don't know what your like Malcolm Gladwell um, viewpoint is. I know a lot of people love him and some people think he's terrible. I'm kind of like somewhere in the middle. Um, I think I, I am too. <laughs> yeah, but I, I read, I read his stuff kind of cause I feel like, if you do stuff around like leadership or like bigger psychological philosophical questions, like his stuff is good. And it's usually at a, it's a level that can be consumed by more than just like PhD type people. Right. So anyway, he was on to promote his new book. He was on this thing with Oprah, like that super soul Sunday thing that Oprah does. And (laughs) She asked him, um, well, like, what, after this book, like, what questions are you still trying to solve, right? And he said something like, well, I want to do something about how you change a person's belief structure. Like, whether it's a work issue, like, okay, we should go this way on this project instead of that way. Or whether it's, like, a major issue, like abortion or something else that's politically charged right like how do you shift someone's opinion from a to b right so anyway that he did that interview a couple weeks ago so then i read this morning that like because of coronavirus stuff his publishers are like ramp up that book like try to get that book out in the next year because it's like they want something to sell about like how to like, how do you change someone's opinion about, okay, this virus is serious, you know? Because one thing that we're seeing right now is, like, the media narrative is, okay, you should stay in place, you should limit social contact, distance, etc. But then we see this B-roll all the time of, like, people partying or, like, bars and clubs being open or, like, huge Target stores being open. So it's like, well, why aren't these people getting it, right? So what does it take to change someone's belief that this is important? So anyway, long story short is like now we're ramping up some new Malcolm Gladwell book to talk about that. But if you if you have a, a newsletter base, audience base, that even would remotely care about like perception or belief structure or like, uh, which is obviously a facet of leadership for sure. Then I feel like there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about right now in that context, you know? Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room because it's pretty obvious now that there are going to be a lot of employees who are really hurt by right. this virus. Right. Uh, they're going to lose their jobs, be furloughed, lose hours, right. all kinds of things. Do you think it's effective for employers when they communicate 
uh, with their customers or their would-be customers to talk about how they're taking care of their employees? Uh, Yeah, I think it's relevant. I don't know. I have like a very specific take on it. So I might be in the minority. I think it's relevant. And if you read any kind of research sets on like lower millennial slash Z generationally, they do self-report as caring about those issues more, like how companies treat employees, whether they do the right thing by people. So in those contexts, I think it's definitely relevant. I don't love like generational generalizations, but no, I don't either. I think they're I think they're actually pretty harmful. Yeah. But do I think everybody, whether you're 24 or 67, do I think uh, every single person would care about, okay, we're trying to treat our employees well? Uh, no. I think that probably more than 50% are in that bucket, though. But at the same time, I do think most people, if you've worked even a couple years, you do realize that, like, while stuff like loyalty is very important and it drives a lot of relationships and like tenure with the company, you also understand that sometimes like a business has to operate like a business, you know? So people might get laid off. And I think most people are aware of that fact or they've already seen it start happening in, you know, media reporting and whatever. Um, So I think it's important. I personally would, mention it if you're writing a brand newsletter um, I would indicate like okay this is our plan to minimize employee damage or life damage Um, but I don't think every single person that possibly opens it or reads it will care about that stuff no yeah and then I see people um, promoting the fact that they've made a large donation of something. Do you think that's an effective way to show off your brand? Yeah, I think it's helpful. I think it can potentially look like virtue signaling or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, well, you know, we did this awesome thing. A lot of times, like, this is what gets me on the stuff about donations is that A lot of time people, the number sounds good, but then if you think about it as a percentage, it's not a big deal at all, right? Mm -hmm. So like Bezos is like one of the ultimate examples of that where like Bezos will generate all these headlines where it's like he gives a hundred million to like Seattle homelessness, right? And I'm not saying that 100 million is bad. I think that's a tremendous donation on face. And hopefully, like, people that deal with homelessness in Seattle and any other associated cities can use the 100 million wisely. But if you look at, like, that as a percentage of what he could potentially give to a cause, it's nothing, you Mm -hmm. know? Like, it's less than 1%. So... I get, I've seen branded stuff where they say, you know, we gave $500,000 to um, like this uh, uh, fund in the county of our headquarters area for furloughed or unemployed workers, right? 
And then all you have to do is like Google that company's returns if they're public. And you're like, okay, that's like 0003%, right? <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I think it's cool that people do something. Like any action in a way is positive. It's better than inaction. Um, but I think people are also smart enough um, to realize like, okay, that's also like a very small gesture in the grand scheme of this company or this person. Yeah, that's important feedback, I think, because it, then it can backfire on you. Right. And, I'll, and I'll also say I was seeing in the news that Target has donated a bunch of masks now in the Seattle area to the hospitals, but it came on the heels of um, it being revealed that they were selling masks. In the oh, yeah. yeah. So, now, so now you're kind of recovering from a PR mistake, right? right. So it loses, right. now it loses, it's lost, it's right. a positive impact. It's like a loss leader, to be honest, at that point, because to, to a person with a, above average IQ or kind of like knows how businesses operate and make decisions that just reeks of being a PR thing after the fact, like you said, you know? Yeah. So if you could wave a magic wand, um, what kind of communication would you love to see coming from corporations right now? Well, again, like you said it at the beginning of this whole thing, and I would agree with you probably as my number one thing. It's like just talk specifically about how it's impacted your business and how you touch these customers and what you know factually, like that UPS example. Like, okay, we've talked to the medical community globally or just the San Diego medical community. And they say that uh, COVID-19 is only going to last on a UPS package for 18 hours or whatever. Just like provide facts, right? Mm -hmm. Like context and use that as a way to provide assurance. Right. So I feel like that, that's would be my first like if I could wave a wand this is like contextual facts plus assurance of okay things will be okay we don't know the exact timetable there may be some disruptions like here this has popped into my head I use like sun basket as a meal kit thing I used to use blue apron and then I kind of got tired of it so sun basket is like not really organic, but they claim to be super organic. So anyway, it's like, it's good. And uh, especially like the last week or so, a bunch of grocery stores near me have been gutted. So like mm -hmm. I could up my order and get more like uh, meals. I still have to prepare them, but it just like helps out my life. Right. Mm -hmm. So when they, uh, their COVID thing when it first started happening was they sent an email about, okay, this is our projections about what's going to happen with supply chain and like how some recipes could change. So like maybe you should, you could customize what you get every week. Like I'm lazy and I don't always customize it, but they were like, maybe customize it towards these types of meals instead of these types, because we might have supply chain issues on these types. And that's like, that's just something I would expect from somebody sending me food, right? It's like, mm -hmm. give me like facts and context on what's happening. And then 
give me like options of what I can do going forward. And they were like, look, if there's going to be a supply chain disruption for us, we would tell you like a week to two weeks in advance so that you could plan or whatever. That type of stuff should be at the forefront, like context, information, reassurance, right? And then beyond that, I would say like, man, really simple stuff about communication that people miss all the time. It's like, I'm sure you've seen this too. I can't tell you how many emails or even like social posts I've seen in the last two to three years where like someone will send out an email to 10,000 plus people and the subject line will be like test number two or it'll have a typo in it or whatever. Right. So like, <laughs> oh dear. yeah, just like get the basic stuff right now. Cause like you think that that's an obvious thing, but a lot of brands don't even do that properly. So just make sure you covered those basics because it's hard for someone to take anything else in the communication seriously if those things aren't met, right? And we all think like, oh, we're not judgmental. We're not going to be like picky about whatever. And then we like bemoan it when like recruiters or whatever do it if we're in a job search. But like the reality is like, when you see typos in something or like a really stupid subject line, you're just like, okay, I don't like, I'm checked out on this. <laughs> right. So I would say that's another thing is just like be, um, just get the basics of stuff. Right. You know, you know, one of the things I'm thinking of as you were talking was it's a leadership problem. Yep. And when people send out emails that don't do those things, that don't give facts, right. that don't give right. information, that don't reassure, it's a lack of leadership. And it's a really interesting opportunity for a lot of people to step up and be leaders, including corporations. Right. I agree. That would be an interesting attitude for someone to take when they're composing their email is think like a leader, you know, think about what people want to hear from you. I said, yep. I was joking yesterday on social media. I said, you and I were going to change the world today. Yeah. But I actually think that, that that would make a pretty big impact. If people, before you send out your email, think about what people need from you as a leader, because we're all looking you know, for people to help us and reassure us and we're frightened. It's a, definitely a crisis like nothing we've ever seen before. So it's really an opportunity for people to make a difference. Yep. And I think like to your point, one of the reasons why it's not often like a good um, example of leadership is that I think, especially in crisis mode, Again, I can only speak to American business society, although I've done a couple of things with like European companies. I think in times of crisis, what's valued is like, okay, we need people that are decisive as leaders, right? And unfortunately, when you overfocus on being decisive, sometimes you lose like the context that would actually reassure people when you communicate with them because you're trying to make like, real deliberate, like in your mind, focused decisions. And then I also think a lot of those people end up in meetings that are just about 
payroll or financials or like cash on hand or like new revenue opportunities or whatever. And they just assume like, okay, somebody on the marketing team uh, will take care of this communication we need to put out. Right. But if it was more influenced by a leader or a founder or whatever, the message might be better. Now I've also worked on stuff where founders try to edit emails and it becomes like 17 back and forths with all this line editing. So it can go the other way for sure. Mm -hmm. I think like in general, leaders get like too focused on these like small bands of decisiveness and revenue in times like these. And they miss a bigger opportunity to like really forge a deeper bond with people that buy stuff from them. Yeah, I think it's a real opportunity, actually, to establish a different kind of relationship with your customer. Right, for sure. Well, Ted, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I wondered if you wanted to um, tell the listeners how they could follow your work or get in touch or really anything you'd like to share with them. Sure. Um, So on Twitter, I believe it's at Ted Bauer, 2003. So T-E-D-B-A-U-E-R-2003. And then on LinkedIn, it's just my name, which is Ted Bauer. Those are probably the two main platform uh, in terms of social. And then my blog is called The Context of Things, which is just thecontextofthings.com. And those would be kind of the main avenues or channels whereby one could locate me in our digital ecosystem, you know? (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. That's it, everybody. You've made it through another episode of Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work. During the pandemic, we'll be changing our format in honor of those who are quarantined or working on the front lines. We'll put out shorter shows on a daily or near daily basis early in the morning to start your day on a positive and interesting note. We'll be considering work-related issues relevant while COVID-19 is impacting the world. If you have a question or a comment or a message for our listeners, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us through the website, discreetguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T, where you can also find other resources about working better together. Thank you for joining my quest to improve our workplaces, our work lives, and our lives in general. And thanks for listening. We look forward to returning to our old format when the world has returned to a more normal state. In the meantime, please hang in there, stay safe, and know that I care about you.